Um, so today's reading is Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon. I uh, flew back this morning, uh, midnight flight from uh, Thailand, Bangkok. Uh, we spent some time, Young Life uh, Asia was meeting in Chiang Mai, and I serve as one of the committee boards, and it was a wonderful trip. I'm a little tired, I might fall asleep, so please uh, stay awake with me. Here we go. Um, we are back in the, in the Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, which started last week. We're going to be here for maybe next five more weeks. A quick review of the context of the of the letter, because this book was actually a letter. We write emails, we write text messages. Back in the days, we wrote letters. Young people, we wrote letters. It was like paper, pen, and it took a few days, a few months to get there, sort of the deal. It was an actual letter, and 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 really a, a letter written by a man named uh, a man named Paul, who wrote more than half of New Testament. Actually, he was a church planter, a tent maker, an apostle. And he writes to a church in Colossae. At the time of the letter, the city of Colossae was not well known. It was small in size and influence, but it was actually located near a major highway at the time. So all these travelers coming and going created this huge uh, foot traffic, uh, which made the city extremely diverse, not only in people, but also diverse in religious ideas and philosophies. This was a place where a lot of these ideas came together and were, mi- were mixed. Uh, so really, this sort of, th- this sort of reality of the city uh, and, and all these people coming through made this young church in Classe extremely vulnerable to false teachings and mixed understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, in fact, this is perhaps the number one reason why Paul writes to the church in Colossae to really address these false teachers. He, 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 we will go into that more in chapter 2. There were these false teachers who were teaching a different type of Christianity. Last week we were in chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and, and really the letter opened with Paul confronting these false teachers that have led many away from their faith. Verse 12 of chapter 1, which we were there last week, Paul reminds the young church, young Christians, that it's not 
our own sense of righteousness or, or certain riots or certain knowledge, secret codes, uh, because this was the claim of the false teachers that they needed, yes, they needed Jesus, but they needed more things. It was Jesus plus something else. And Paul's confronting this idea by saying it is Jesus only. It is only in Jesus we have been transferred. It is only in Jesus that we have been redeemed. It's only through you've entered your faith through Jesus. And now why are you looking at other places? And so, so Paul says in chapter 1, we are carried from death to life, from darkness to light, from shame to honor, from hopelessness to joy, only through Christ and Christ only. So we pick up the letter from verse 15 today. And here now Paul dives deeper into and really goes into the reasons why and how Christ is indeed enough. This was a challenge, right? The false teachers entered and saw these young Christians and said, you need more than Christ. And Paul says, no, Christ is enough. And now really verses 15 to 23, that's our passage that was read by our sister Ali. We're going to dig into this and really to talk about why and how Christ is enough. Many scholars believe this is the most Christological high points in all of Scripture, where Christ is really exalted. The passage we read made an image of God, the creator God, the sustainer. All things were made in him, for him, through him. And really what Paul wants to do is to show not only us, but the original audience who are struggling, who are thinking, is Christ not enough? Is my faith not enough? Do I need certain knowledge or do I need to practice certain ways and go to morning prayer? We talked about the last week at Korean church. There are two types of Christians. Level one, you don't go to morning prayer. Level two, you go to morning prayer, right? My neighbor, a conversation. But Paul says, no, you don't have to go to morning prayer. Morning prayers are good. Reading Bible is good. Serving is good. Giving is good. But, but really, it's Christ, foundational. It's Christ, exalted. That's what we need. So three ways to see Jesus in our, in our passage. I'll, I'll go in this order. Paul says, he is the image of true God. Two, he is the true creator God. Three, he is the one who sustains us all. So we'll look at those three attributes of Christ that Paul talks about in our passage, and we'll wrap up our time by looking at how these realities that Paul mentions might impact not only the faith of the Colossian Christians, but our faith. So first, verse 15, Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. Right? The Greek word Paul uses here for image is icon, where we get the English word icon, which literally means likeness, right? Yet in, in the Greek definition, it doesn't simply mean representation. Icon in English language means to represent something, right? But in, in, in the Greek definition, it doesn't simply mean representation, but the emphasis of the word is this idea of likeness, exactness of the same nature. So here Paul what Paul is trying to say through verse 15 is that Jesus not only represents God, he does that, but he is in likeness with God. He's equal, he is in equal footing with God the Father. Hebrews 1.3, the writer of Hebrews, 
we're not sure who the writer is. Many people have different opinions who the writer is, but whoever the writer is, he says this so beautifully. He repeats this idea of Jesus being made in the image of God. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint. Exact imprint. The word imprint in Hebrews 1.3 is this idea of, you know, when you seal a wax, when you used to write a letter, people do that now. It's so like very, um, very trendy wedding invitation. You have a seal, you wax it. It's this idea of imprinting something on a wax. So, so, so the writers of Hebrew and Paul says, Jesus is exact imprint of God. And, and, and we have to know this was a tremendously scandalous statement, not only to the people at the time, but also today. You know, many people admire Jesus' life and teachings. And many people teach. They're not Christians, but teach about Jesus and, and his life and the lessons he's taught us. And many non-Christians would say Jesus was an exceptional figure, perhaps someone like Gandhi. Yet people stop admiring Jesus. People stop admiring him when we begin to claim that Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is not just this good rabbi, but he is actually God. Thank you, Ali. Sorry. I thought I didn't need water, but I need water. Sorry. Mm. People, would, people have no problem studying Jesus, admiring Jesus, and learning from his life, but they will not worship him. It was, it, it, that's the reality of many, many today. That's the reality of many back in the time of the letter. But, but the scripture is clear over and over again from Old Testament to New Testament that Jesus is not just this great rabbi, great teacher, but he is God. C.S. Lewis says this, and, 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 and that's a, wow, it's, okay, I'll read it for us. I'm sorry, I did that this morning. C.S. Lewis says, if Jesus truly said what he said, then everyone has to make a decision about who Jesus is. You cannot simply say Jesus was a good man if, you, if Jesus truly said what he said. Let me, this is a long quote, but it's a good one. Follow with me. This is mere Christianity. Lewis says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he will be the devil of hell. You must, make a, you must make your choice. Either this man Jesus was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, but you can, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to, end quote. See, Lewis is echoing what Paul, Paul's claim in our passage 
right? Paul is really confronting one of the major heresies that have entered the church through these false teachers, right? To the Gnostics, because many believe these were the Gnostic, early Gnostic movement in the church of Colossians, Jesus was just one of thousands of different images of God. He was A image, not D image. He was part of the picture, but he was not the full picture of God. So for them, again, Jesus was a step into right direction. But in order for them to truly be saved, this is the claim of the false teachers. In order for them to be truly saved, they needed to do more. Right? It was always Jesus plus something else. Whether that was through a strict lifestyle, whether that's secret code or something, some different version of Christianity. So here Paul doubles down on this claim, verse 15, saying, No, all you need is Jesus because he is the only true likeness of God. And it is only through Christ we get to see the Father. So first, he is the image of God. Second, he is a creator God. That's Paul's claim. Verse 16, all things were created through him and for him. Creation speaks of bringing something out of nothing. When we read uh, Genesis, when God created the world, he created the world not he did not modify the world, but he created the world out of nothing. That's the biblical idea of what it means to create something. So here Paul says, Jesus is not just the Son of God, but he's also the co-creator of everything you see. And he says, he even goes further, he says, everything that is created, everything in existence, the chairs that you're sitting on, the shirts that you're wearing, the people that are sitting next to you, we are all created through him, but also for him. That's Paul's claim. That means our bodies, our emotions, the trees, the mountains, the buildings and the waters, the things seen and the things unseen, the rulers and the authorities, everything was created through him and for him. Again, these false teachers that entered the church claim that Jesus is not God because anything that was physical, right? this, this dualistic belief, anything that was physical was Evil, anything that was spiritual was good. For Jesus being a human being, he could not be good because he's a physical being. He was not God. So again, Jesus was simply a good starting point, but not the end. And, and Paul is really expanding or confronting this idea, the very teaching of proclaiming Jesus as the creator of all things. In fact, Paul says everything exists for him. Uh, verse 16b all things were created through him and for him the preposition in verse 16 for if you could circle for i think it's better translated as the word as preposition toward many times in the scripture whenever this word comes up for for it could be translated as toward Right, and, and, and really, I think what Paul is trying to show us is that this is how humans, how we have been designed. This is part of our DNA. To live towards, to live in intimacy, to live facing God. So when we read with that translation, it's all things were created through him, but also to, towards him. So friends, God 
So what, what Paul says is God does not exist for us. A few weeks ago, I, I said God loves us, but God does not owe us. God loves us, but God does not owe us. Everything we have is a gift. In the same way, the same idea, God does not exist for us. I would like to believe sometimes in my weakness, in my struggle, in my pain, in my frustration, I like to believe God exists for me and my family. But when we look at scripture, that's not true. That's not what Paul is saying, that we have been made through him and toward him, not the other way around. So we've entered these doors. Some of you came late, some of you came early. Yes, to be encouraged. We came to church to be encouraged. We came to church to find healing, to maybe hear from God. You're in the middle of a decision to be challenged, maybe to be blessed or out of obligation. You've gone to church all your life and not going to church makes it, it's weird. Yes, those are fine reasons. But before any of those things, we've entered these doors to worship Jesus. We've gathered for him. You see, every Sunday, before we gather here, we gather downstairs and we do this pre-service prayer with everyone that's serving. And in the beginning of the year, you know, one of the brothers wanted to do this. We used to do this and we stopped and wanted to do it again. And it was great, right? We, we gathered again, about 10, sometimes eight of us, we gather. And, and, and after a few weeks, I was like, all right, I, I pulled two guys over who was leading this prayer. I said, hey, guys, no, no, no. Because eventually this prayer meeting became about us. Let's pray for those that are serving. Let's pray for those that are coming. Let's pray. Which is good. But I was like, hey, hey, guys, all of what we're doing is not for us. Ultimately, it is to worship God. Ultimately, when we come here, it's not about having excellent music. It's not about having excellent talk, excellent production, excellent hosting team. Those things are good, but we come to worship God. And I love how Joyce led us this morning because it was really, we're facing God. It's about God. We, we're here because, we, again, we are not, God does not exist for us. He, we exist for Him. And that's what Paul's challenging us. So that means our greatest problem, think of your greatest problem now. Money problem, relationship problem, something else. Greatest problem that is facing us, if Paul is right, if Paul is true, is not our finances, although we think it may be. It is not our illness, both physical or emotional. It is not that we lack or need more things or better things or shinier things. No. It's that we need Him. That we need to live towards Him. That we have been created. We, it's been put in our DNA to live for Him and towards Him. Not the other way around. He's the Creator God. And we have been created to live towards him. Third thing, he is our sustainer. Verse 17, this is perhaps the apex of Paul's argument in this text. Christ is the firstborn. He is before all things. He is the center. This is the idea, right? Firstborn, the center, the primary, the main. And Paul says it makes sense because... Christ is indeed the one who holds all things together. Verse 17. 
And the word to hold in Greek, it literally means to cohere. It's, it's the word sin est gen, sin est ken. Man, my Greek professors would be really embarrassed to me. I can't say it, guys. It just means cohere, to hold things together. I'll practice my Greek next time, so, okay. It's, the, it's this imagery of Christ, right, this word. It's this imagery of Christ in the center of all things, center of this room, center of your life, center of your relationship, center of your marriage, center of your career, whatever you're thinking. And it's his hand that's holding all of these things in place so that it would work properly. And the verb cohere in the Greek is in the perfect tense form, which means it's not just a one-time event that he does for us when we come to Christ, but he's constantly holding things together today, tomorrow, next day, next week, next month. And he does that for his glory. Yes, for our benefit, but, but ultimately for his own glory. That means our health, our career, our hopes, our prayers, our calling, our relationships, our marriages, our family, our community. It's not us trying to hold things together. Sometimes I do that and I get burnt out, right? I was away uh, for about four days and, and it was just so weird being traveling alone. I always travel with, I have two girls, my wife, and you know, traveling for parents like, it's, it's, it's a business trip, right? It's all work, right? I go on vacation. I come home like, I need another vacation. I'm Thailand alone. I'm just like, wow. Like, yes, it was busy meetings, but after like 8 o'clock, I'm like, what, what do I do in my life? It's, so, it's like nothing, right? But a lot of times I feel like I'm the one holding this church together. I'm the one that's holding our family together. I'm the one holding whatever together. But no, the, the, Paul says, no, it's Christ. He's at the center. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 1, verse 3. Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, exact imprint of his nature. And therefore, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, the false teachers that Paul is addressing in the church of Colossae, they claim that Jesus is not the center. Why? Because he is not God, right? To them, he cannot hold all things together as physical being. And that was why they chained people with all the things that they needed to do. It was up to each person to hold their weight, to carry their own burdens, to live lives of great discipline, or to work to attain this higher knowledge, to give more, to serve more, to work more. And Paul says, no, it's Christ, it's Jesus, the image of God, the creator of God. He is the one who has called us. He is the one who has created us. He is the one who sustains all things. And verse 21, therefore, whenever you read Paul's letters, he, he loves therefore, and it's a powerful transition. Therefore, verse 21, you, now he turns attention to us. 
It was all about Jesus. And now it says, okay, in light of who Jesus is, now look at who you are. Because in order for you to truly know who you are, you got to see your maker, creator. He says, therefore, you who are once you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We who were doing evil deeds, that's me, that's you, he has now reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you and I holy, not because we are holy, not because we are doing amazing and and we're reading the Bible and we're coming to morning prayer every day. We don't even have morning prayer. I don't know how I keep saying that. My neighbor. Not because of these things, but because of what Christ has done. Let's look deeper into it and, and I'm almost done. How... What does this really mean? So first, image of God. Jesus' image of God. What does that really mean? Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of creation, the writer of Genesis tells us that we humans, every human being, both male and female, have been made in the very image of God. So Jesus is the image of God, the image of God, and though we don't stand on equal footing with Jesus, we're not smaller gods, no. Yet we too are also made in his image. Though Jesus, through, the, through, through Jesus and the life that he lived, when we see Jesus throughout the Gospels, we begin to understand Jesus didn't just come to save us, but we begin to understand what it means for you and I to truly be human. To truly understand what we would be like without sin and evil deeds and brokenness in this world. So our creativity, we have a lot of creative people in our church, musicians and artists. Our artistry, our love for colors and shapes and beauty, they reflect the ultimate creator, Jesus. The birds, the flowers, the seasons, the sun, the moon, all beauty of nature, we owe it to his creativity. Some of us, we, we, love, we love being artists. And we pride ourselves being able to draw and sing and, and, and do that. But we have to understand, we get these things through Jesus, the ultimate creator. And although we don't create something from nothing, we have been given the ability and passion to create beauty, to create systems, to create structure that reflects his glory that, that's what it means for you and I to be made in the image of God. Second, creator God. What does that mean for us? Verse 16 again, Paul says, a part of humanity's design is to live in this rhythm, to live not only for Jesus, but towards Jesus. St. Augustine penned these powerful words about humanity. And he says, and this is a prayer that he prays, you have made us for yourself. He's talking about humanity. He's praying and our heart is restless until it rests in you. What what St. Augustine is saying is there's a place in our hearts, a deep down inside. There's a void. There's a hole. And we're looking to fill this hole with many things, many relationships, many what you fill in the blank. And and St. Augustine says, no, none of those things can fill this, this, this need, this desire. It's you. Because we have been designed that way. 
Friends, the remedy for our restless hearts. Anyone struggling with anxiety? I, I struggle with anxiety. I have these terrifying dreams about, I have dreams about, oh, I'm supposed to preach, but I'm not prepared at all. I mean, anxious. Anyone anxious? The remedy for our restless heart is not more stuff. It's not better things. It's not new environment or new season. No, it's living towards Jesus. That's how we have been designed. Friends, true remedy for our restlessness is living towards Christ, living in Christ, for Christ. Finally, sustainer God, verse 17. In him all things hold together. So what Paul is saying is we are not designed to be our own providers, our own sustainers. We're not designed to live our lives, placing ourselves in the center of our lives. Which in many ways is what we are encouraged to do in modern culture, right? One of the major cultural narratives that we see through movies and songs and stories is that what? The calling to pursue our dreams. Pixar movies is no longer about true love. It's really about what? Pursuing and finding who you are and going after that and not letting other, th- other people or other ideas conform you, but really pursuing what you think is to be true, true you. Be great, be you. Being you is one of the most Wonderful things, that's, that's what we've been told. That seems exciting and, 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 and empowering, right? The idea of pursuing our own dreams, like some of you as a musicians, and you need a job, but you're like, no, I'm going to pursue my music, and that seems exciting. That seems you know, amazing to be able to pursue our dreams, only until we realize how unbelievable crushing life can feel when we continue to simply live for our dreams or live for ourselves. Because truth is more times than not, no matter how much we desire to do, to do, to do so, life will not be controlled. In fact, one of the lessons I'm learning, I'm, I'm turning 39 next month. I'm still young, but lessons I'm learning is that I have less control. Every, like when I look at my daughters growing up and, and they're not real humans and real ideas and especially my second one, I'm like, wow, I literally have no control over, really, I really can't. And if Jesus is not the center, if Jesus is not the one who's holding our lives together, guess what? Since it's up to us to make everything work, to hold all things together, we will continue to beat ourselves up. Anyone beating yourselves up about what happened in the past? Why? Because it's up to us. So when things fall apart in our lives, when something does not work out, when our marriage does not work out, when that career doesn't work out, when something happens, it's easy to blame other people or blame ourselves. And we tell ourselves only if we made better decisions in the past, only if we did this and not that, only if we didn't invest in this, invest into that. Yet Paul says the good news is that Jesus did not leave us to hold all things together. And only when we embrace this reality that Jesus holds all things together, we can truly begin 
to forgive others for things that were done to us, but also we can truly forgive ourselves for things that we have done. We can begin to embrace not only others, but who we truly are. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we, we didn't do everything right. And we will continue to make mistakes. That's called life. That's called sin. And, and until Christ returns, we will struggle. But only when we embrace that Jesus holds all things together according to his good will, we can be sober about our failures and failures of others in our lives, yet not be crushed. Friends, this is why the gospel, and this is where we end, is the good news. The gospel reminds us Jesus came for you. Jesus came for me. Not because we needed a little help. We needed a little boost to jump over that fence. No, because we didn't even get to the wall. Right? The image of God, the creator, the sustainer came into the world that he's created as one of us because we had no shot. And Jesus saw you and I being crushed by the weight of our sins and failures and others' failures and other sins. So he entered creation, not only to save us, but to show us what it means to be truly human. And in the end, the one without sin, that's what the scripture says, became sin for us, lifting the crushing weight of sin and death that we are drowning under. So verse 22, Paul can say, he has indeed reconciled us, friends, by his own death, and we have been made holy, blameless, above reproach, because of him, for him, towards him. Amen? I want to encourage you, as I, as, as, as I was preparing this message in Thailand, I felt like God was saying, hey, there's a lot of people that are just, that are just blaming themselves for what happened in the past. If that's you, I want to encourage you. It's, it's time to move forward because even though we may have made those mistakes, even though, yeah, we could have made our better decisions, God, God's plan, God's vision, God's will for your life is not, is not wasted. We serve a sovereign God. He's in control. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, Colossians 1. It's so dense and there's so much we can chew on and, 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 and get lost in, in, in it. But Lord, we uh, thank you for these truths that are, that, are, that, are, that are so relevant to us. Lord, I just pray for, our, for people in our congregation who, are, who have been crushed by their past, who have been deeply wounded by either the choices they have made or the sins of others. And I just pray, Lord, that there will be forgiveness, there would be renewing, not because we're ready to move forward. We're never ready to move forward, Lord. Not because we're ready to forgive, but because we trust in the sovereign nature of who you are. You are God who holds all things together. And that is amazing. That is amazing, Lord.
If anyone is weary, if anyone is struggling with anxiety, restlessness, Lord, would you reveal yourself to them? Would you meet them where they are? Pray for true rest in this place, in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Same we pray. Amen.